Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You might actually be the most derivative one of all. I mean, Christ, the same house. Maybe so. But you forgot the first rule of surviving a stab movie. Never answer the... I'm bored. Wait! Welcome back to Micro Queers. It's our whenever the hell we feel like doing it queer horror movie review and short roundup. I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we are discussing Alexander McGregor Burrell's The Latent Image, the feature length adaptation of his short of the same name. Um... With the whole cast returning? <laughs> well, I mean, it was a very small cast, so it does make sense. But yes, folks, if you are like, hey, wait, this sounds familiar. Maybe I've seen this. It's because we had previously talked about the short on a previous Microqueers episode. Yes, I actually think this might have been like in 2019, maybe the second year, maybe it was 2020. But um, uh, I think the second year, yeah. Yeah, but we've been hearing about the, this for a while, and I'm happy to say, yeah, it's finally out, and we can finally see this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's very queer. <laughs> it's very queer, yeah. So if you've seen the short, then you're already familiar with the premise. But essentially, it's a writer who has rented out a cabin in the woods to work on a manuscript. And a random, dark, handsome stranger comes in and... And we get a certain amount of fantasy with regard to this writer imagining like sexual relationships with him, but also this man is clearly dangerous. So in the short, it was a lot of interplay between what is the story that right. the author is writing and what is actually happening. And then it, of course, ends somewhat ambiguously. And then here we've got the same idea with one additional character a few more dream sequences mm-hmm. and about an 80 minute runtime. Oh, and I do want to point out just in the interest of full disclosure, um, both you and I are friends with the lead actor, uh, Ben, played by Joshua Tonks, and the executive producer, Michael Verratti. So I just want to throw that out there before we start diving into this. <laughs> this is true. Yes, we know several people who are associated with this production, which in part is why we were able to get our hands on an early screener yeah. and also why we wanted to talk about it. Because you're right. I think one of the best things about this is how just unabashedly queer it is. Oh, yeah. And I- I'm happy that we're starting to see a lot more of this in the indie horror set. I mean, mm-hmm. shit, we get full dick in this movie. <laughs> 
We do get full dick. We get quite a lot of underwear shots. David Dakota would be proud. Yes. <laughs> it was so funny because at one point when I was taking my notes, I was like, huh, he sure does walk around his underwear a lot when there's a stranger in his house. But you know what? Would I be saying the same thing if it was a woman walking around in bra and panties? I don't know. Uh, is it an 80s movie? Because if so, yeah. you would say nothing. It would just be everyday occurrence i know it's just you know I, I we're wired i feel like when we see bulge to be like oh <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah <sighs> so okay trace overall impressions would you recommend this film did you like this film yeah i would recommend this i will confess this is a soft recommendation for me okay I like the unabashed queerness. I actually think it's shot very, very well to the point where mm-hmm. I really want to see what Burrell does next, as well as his cinematographer, Michael Elias Thomas. Um, I think Joshua uh, does really well in this lead role. I think the acting is strong. Jay Clift is menacingly enough as the man. Mm-hmm. But this does kind of fall into that trap of a short stretched out to feature length. And especially given the aforementioned nightmare sequences, it feels like there's a lot of padding on this that uh, kind of makes this, it works more than it doesn't for me. Okay. Yeah, I can hear the sort of trepidation and you're trying to dance around like, how do you say this? You can be honest with this. You know, this is a relatively slight premise and there are... I don't want to say draggy points, but there are slower moments, whereas in the short, because it was kind of a hot 20 to 25 minutes, it didn't feel like we had as much fat, per se. So I'm in agreement with you, although I'm a little bit warmer on this. So uh, this is a three and a half for me. Mm-hmm. I agree with you that I think it's actually really, really well shot. You know, we're getting some really fun split diopters, deep focus. Oh, yeah. POV shots from inside the typewriter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a sense of playfulness that I think is making up for the fact that in some ways, this could actually be a stage production. Like that was really my takeaway having mm-hmm. seen this a second time is that I could very easily see this as a kind of Agatha Christie, Alfred Hitchcock style stage production, where we've got limited actors, it's a little bit heavy on mood and dialogue. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's also a relatively slight narrative. It's just these two guys, and they're sort of dancing around each other trying to figure out what their motivations are. And I think for some people, that's just not going to be quite enough. Well, and I think, and I'm not saying, this is not a ripoff to me, but I think it does bear quite a few similarities to Secret Window. Okay, yes. Very much a, how much can we trust our protagonist who is a spiraling writer? And we're getting that interplay between fantasy and reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, he's uh, on the outs with his significant other who may or may not be uh, a murder victim of of the antagonist of the movie. Right. So that is one of the new elements for this feature. So in the short, you know, I think we maybe hear a reference to a partner. There might be a phone call. I can't recall. But there's definitely no glimpse of him. There's no suggestion that he is a victim of the man. And I think that that was one of the smarter ways that if you're going to keep the nearly identical narrative, that's a good way to add additional intrigue right is what is the motivation for ben the writer to come out here it's not just to finish the book it's actually because he's running away and then you can introduce this extra character who of course in the grand tradition of thrillers is going to be killed <laughs> yes absolutely although i will say i mean i, I like because the film does play around with the narrative a bit in a fun way um when it's like oh are we 
are we watching real life or are we watching the story that mm-hmm. the real life person is telling? Have we even met the real Ben? I, we don't really know up until kind of towards the end. Although I guess even then it could be up for debate. Yeah, I actually found that a stronger component of the short, which felt like it was really leaning into story versus reality. Mm-hmm. Here, I took most of this to be reality. And then you're right, we are getting, you know, there's a nightmare sequence about eight minutes in where Ben imagines that he's just slashed in the throat by an assailant. And then there's other parts where he's having conversations with his partner, Jamie. So Jamie leaves him a couple of voice messages, but there's also a couple of parts where it seems like we're either flashing back or Ben is imagining Jamie there to help guide or inform his actions. And I liked that interplay. To me, that didn't feel like, oh, this is him writing his story. This is him utilizing another character who's an important part of his life. Yeah, no, and, and that does make sense. But, okay, so let's then, I'm just going to come out and say it. Uh, Sure. I I think that these nightmare sequences, which I think we get four of them, maybe even five. There's a bunch of them at the end. In general, we talked about this back in August when we talked about horror tropes that got to go. And one of my big ones was when we see a scene and Mm -hmm. something big happens, like be it plot wise or a burst of violence or whatever. And then, oops, uh, it's the character having a nightmare or it's the character imagining things. And we do that several times this movie. This one of the first 10 minutes. And. Mm -hmm. I was okay the first time, and you could make the argument, as I think you might, actually, you specifically, that because we're playing with this kind of narrative and fiction and writer, author, like, it does play a thematic, like, role in the story. Right. I will confess, though, that by the fifth, fourth or fifth time this happened, I was kind of like, okay, this feels like we're just padding the runtime because we are stretching a 20-minute short into an 80-minute movie. Yeah, I had a feeling that this was going to bother you, not just because we did talk about it, but also because... Yeah, some of these definitely feel superfluous. I don't mind the first one because, you know, it's relatively early in the film. We're establishing the fact that Ben does have this active imagination and it's a burst of violence to kind of get the film started. So I was fine with that. I really like this stuff with Jamie. So when he imagines that Jamie is there and then Jamie oh, goes yeah. down on him, I I liked that kind of stuff because we actually see a very clear transition to, okay, that was in his mind. And then we just see Ben masturbating. And then the man says, hey, what the fuck are you doing over there? So I thought that there was a good interplay between hallucination or memory and reality. And, you know, we keep the man involved in that. The fucking works for me. That is a carryover from the short, although I found it less sexy and far more aggressive in the feature. (laughs) Yeah. So I I remember actually getting turned on in the short and thinking, oh, this is a really fun, sexy way to do this. And Mm. I think I even mentioned how I associated that with uh, the sequence from Six Feet Under where David picks up the hitchhiker and it's a scary, sexy danger. Yeah. So that was working for me. But then you're right. There's a couple of moments right near the end of the film where we have the man killing Ben and then Ben coming back in two different jump scares. So one when the man is showering and then another when like immediately afterwards when the man wakes up in bed and Ben is right there and it's his decomposing body and they're back to back. We've seen this a bunch of times in horror films. I found these very unsuccessful. I knew yeah. what they were trying to do, but for me, I was just like, no, we don't need this here. Yeah, it, it's almost like uh, they're trying to do twist after twist after twist almost. Um, mm-hmm. I I actually don't mind the blowjob one. I don't really like the sex one because I guess for me, 
the first one with the with the throat slash and the mm-hmm. sex one, I don't really like as much because it's like, okay, we're getting major plot points. And I, I know we're not going to kill this character in the first 10 minutes of the movie, whatever. Right. But we have important story developments, be it our main character getting killed or our main character fucking the antagonist. Mm-hmm. And then we walk it back to be like, oh, it's just a dream. And I get that these things are kind of parts of like, oh, like, do I want to incorporate this into the story of my book? I almost would have preferred it if we had voiceover of him narrating. Like, we're just, we know when these sequences start, that these mm-hmm. are his ideas for the story and he's writing this out. But the way it is, it feels like almost a cock tease of something of a more exciting movie that we're not going to get because these are dream sequences. Right. So is it also that there's too many of them? Like if there was only a couple, you would be a little bit more generous? Yeah. Or again, if we had a voiceover on this, it just it feels like the movie's like playing a trick on us. And I don't mm. like that. Whereas, though, I mean, you, I get that you could make the argument with the the blowjob scene with the boyfriend. I actually do like that because it feels uh, I don't know. It, it feels more organic in mm-hmm. in the moment um and it doesn't right. feel like it's a trick where it's like oh his boyfriend's not actually here it's more like a, oh he's actually hallucinating um as opposed to imagining something in his head does that make sense yeah to me it's actually very very clear that that's not a hallucination like he's just wishing his boyfriend was there i guess that's what makes it better for me right because it's clear that this is not real I I don't know. I think when it starts, it's not clear, and then it becomes clear by the end of it. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not going to go pick through each scene, but just overall, and maybe you're right, because we do have this a lot in this film, and some are more successful than others. But by the end of it, I was like, movie. <laughs> don't do this again. <laughs> well, can we talk about one that I think is going to work better for you, which is where the two characters walk through how the man would hypothetically yes. kill Ben by actually role-playing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this I thought was great. I loved this. It was tense. It was sexy. It was dangerous. All for it. I think the other reason that this really worked for me is that it's very clear that Ben is going along with it because even though he probably does recognize he's in a certain level of danger, you're right. It is sexy, and he's clearly turned on. Like, there's one point where Ben gets tied up and the man is kind of threatening him with a knife and Ben just goes, better kill me quick. I can't take anymore. And you're just like, this sounds porny, like yeah. in, a, in a good way. Like, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just that Ben is so clearly into this as a kind of foreplay. And this is when the man drops an F slur. Yes. And Ben's immediate reaction is like, oh, this isn't fun anymore. We're not having sexy fun times. You're homophobic. You're threatening. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, no, uh, this was, and I love that he calls him out on it later. Yeah, no, th- th- this whole sequence really, really worked for me. Mm-hmm. And we get a, a taste of this in the short as well, right? Where I do think it's more voiceover. It's more him kind of imagining how this could play out. So the film extends this to the point where, you know, we even get a sequence where Ben tries to leave in the car, but it's clear that the man has actually tampered with it. I'm curious, Trace, what do you think of the extension of the man's storyline that he has been to this cottage before, that there is a serial killer who has been actively praying here? You know, we've got a bit of a murder board on the wall. (laughs) And then we're also discovering the identities of other men in the man's trunk. Yeah, uh, I think this is all fine. Um, It seems like he is specifically targeting queer men, though, which I don't Mm -hmm. like it doesn't really... 
I don't know. I guess, do I want more of an explanation or a motive for that? No, I don't need a motive because the mystery is part of this character's appeal. Right. But why is he only going after gay men? And I kind of was hoping that maybe part of the feature length extension of this would be maybe delving into that a bit more. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely not clear if he's just going after people who are in this area because this is his praying ground. Right. Or if this happens to be, you know, I'm thinking of the movie The Retreat where there's literal homophobic people who rent out an Airbnb to queer people so that they can murder them because they want to rid the world of queer people yeah and look do i need that kind of a thing in this movie maybe not <laughs> <laughs> it's heavy that's a whole premise of a feature film so if you're not going to go there you can't just do a little bit of it and this is more intimate right as you said this could be a play we're just with two people mostly in the, well actually we never even really get to meet jamie alive it's always a hallucination right yeah we get a phone call or two and that's the only real interaction we have of him but i will say I think one of my favorite scenes in the feature compared to the short, because mm -hmm. of course, Jamie's not in the short at all, is the moment where Ben discovers Jamie's body and he climbs into the grave with him after he's, you know, he's got a, a free moment where he can actually do a bit of grieving. And this is another instance where, yes, it's him imagining things, but I like the fact that he gets to have almost a hero moment where he realizes, oh, Jamie's still alive. He's actually not that badly injured. Mm -hmm. He can save him. They can repair the relationship. They can maybe go on with their engagement. And I liked that crushing blow of then seeing, oh, yeah. no, Jamie's fucking dead. He's been dead the whole time. And Ben just needed this moment to process. Yeah. And see, this this makes sense to me. Like, this gives me enough justification for this kind of a hallucination. So this didn't bother me in the slightest. Okay. It does seem like the Jamie stuff works a little bit better for you than the kind of casual nightmares of violence. Yeah. And even with the sex scene, it's like, honestly, if I had just seen him like looking like lustily after the man and then we kind of cut to this like sex scene, mm -hmm. it's just the fact that it feels like the movie's playing a trick on us. We're being like, oops, psych, it's not real. It's all in his head. <laughs> right. Yeah. I didn't have as strong a reaction to that, but maybe it's just because that scene is in the short. So I anticipated yeah. we would see it again. Well, and actually on that note, so knowing the short, were you surprised by anything that happened in this film or did the narrative kind of play out exactly like you thought it would? Because it is a pretty straightforward adaptation of that short film. Yeah, I would say that the Jamie stuff is the big innovative piece right. for me. I didn't it's not that I didn't care, but I didn't know how much more learning about the man's activities contributed to it i enjoyed getting to see a little bit more cat and mouse mm -hmm. some of it felt a little bit questionable in terms of like why can't ben just drive him back to town oh there's a storm and it'll take you two hours like some of this <laughs> felt a little bit manufactured for drama but okay, wait, i also I, I i love the when yeah so they mentioned the storm and i was like is it raining and then i'll cue like thunder sounds <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of stuff where you either have to let it go or you're oh, probably yeah. going to be particularly bothered. You know, for me, the the one that I didn't really care for was there's a moment where they're both out in the woods. And I think Ben has just hit the man in the face with the shovel and we get this howl of wolves on the soundtrack. And yes. I just thought, 
are we gonna do that? I don't want to do that. So thankfully, we don't hear them anymore. But you know, I like the fact that we get a chase sequence with flashlights and telephones and there's some really good stuff with lighting. I really like the production design by Brendan Haley, where, you know, we've got sort of Christmas lights going down the stairs of the cottage, and then there's one red vertical light. I thought Mm -hmm. that it was, it was atmospheric. Like they really did a better job, I think, of shooting within the cabin because they had more time to play with their setups. Oh yeah. No, again, like I said, the camera work in here is actually much better than what I thought going in. Because I mean, this is a low budget film, you know? Sure. It's independent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yes. Thank you. But like, I don't know. I I felt like there was a lot of fun happening behind the camera that I wasn't Mm -hmm. expecting when I turned this movie on. And so that's why I'm saying like, you know, I think technically there's a lot to really appreciate in this film. A lot of my shortcomings do come from the script. Right. Yeah. It's the tricky thing, right? We've talked about this a couple of times and I feel like we'll talk about it a couple more times. It's difficult to justify extending a short into a feature without feeling like, oh, are you just taking that same idea, but now you're adding, you know, an hour to the runtime. And I do think that for me, this film does enough to justify its existence as a feature, if only because I'm also sure that a bunch of people wouldn't have checked out the short. So to them, this is just going to play like a feature and they're probably going to delight in some of these imaginary nightmare sequences as well as the great camera work and the strong performances. Yeah, for sure. And to be clear, like it's it's just going to be a hard way to win me over with these nightmare sequences because if it's a short film like this, I'm going to say, wow, you're just padding the runtime. But if it's like a two and a half hour film that has a bunch of these things, I'm going to be like, wow, you could have used a tighter edit. <laughs> <laughs> this is why Trace put it on his list of horror trips that got to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Anything else? I will say, okay, no shade to Jay Clift who plays the man. I actually think he is very attractive, not mm-hmm. in this film. The problem is with the hair he has, he very much reminds me of Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually happy you said that because I definitely had those same thoughts. The longer hair, maybe it works for other people. We're very much on the record as not yeah. always loving the long hair, so it doesn't do it for me. It's very weird. I was certain that this was a different actor playing the man than in the short to the point that I had to go back and look at the cast. And you're right. No, it's the exact same cast. And I don't know that I like Jay Cliff's performance as much here as I did in the short. I actually think that Tonks gets better and Cliff gets a little bit worse. Not bad. It's just... I think he's more mysterious in the short, and that works a little bit better for me. Whereas all of the Ben stuff, we get to know him a little bit more as a character, and mm-hmm. I was appreciative of that because he's our protagonist. Yeah, and but and maybe that is kind of like the fail, not the failing, but like a, a consequence of extending it, right? Because when you have the villain on screen for more time, mm-hmm. he becomes less mysterious. A hundred percent. Yes. And the reality is, is that this is a two person film. So he's going to have to be on here more because if not, it's a one person movie. In this case, it's just a monologue. So we need him there or we need other characters. And as we said, it's low budget. We don't have a lot of people to work with. I'm pretty sure this was shot during part of the pandemic. So there were probably safety concerns. But at the end of the day, yeah, I just I felt like this was a less interesting character, maybe because we were seeing so much more of him. Yeah, I would agree with that. Not not a deal breaker by any means, but no. I agree with you. I do think it was more successful in the short. Yeah. No, the hair is the deal breaker. The, the hair is pretty bad. <laughs> 
it's problematic because you could look him up on IMDb and he's got short hair and he's really hot. Yeah, he's very hot. He doesn't look like the same person. Yeah, like imagining the full frontal but with shorter hair. That's working for me. He is Canadian, though, so go knock on his door. Oh, my God. Yes, I'll just walk across Canada and find him. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, that has been the latent image. Uh, let us know what you thought. And if you did watch the short, let us know how does this compare for you. But yeah, until our next uh, minisode, we can cross out the latent image. Indeed. And cross out micro queers. Thank you.